Where the hell have you been, soldier? Training, sir! Training, sir! What kind of training, son? Pizza training, sir! Welcome to episode 16 of Drew and Sam Talk Training. I'm Drew Helmholtz with Better Than Yesterday Consulting. And I'm Sam Fowser with Fowser Consulting. And in today's episode, we're going to discuss where we've been. We'll do some Let's Talk Training around getting your team to do what you want them to do. We're going to review the book, Emotional Intelligence and the Modern Leader. We'll have Sam's favorite segment, Taken. We'll interview National Supervisor of the Year, Jeremy Hill, and then we'll land this plane. How's that sound for a good hour or so, Sam? Man, that sounds amazing. Let's jump right in, shall we? Johnny, take it away. I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere, man. Across the desert, bear, man. I breathe the mountain air, man. I travel, I've had my share, man. I've been everywhere. So, Drew, where you been? Well, Sam, I did a little vacationing. And then this past week, I actually did a first of its kind for me, at least leadership webinar with Kevin Shaw's group down in Virginia. It was kind of nice. He reached out to me. He was looking for just some more soft skills training for his leadership team. And so we put together what will end up being a six month program where once a month we get on a webinar for an hour and talk about a concept. And then his team has homework each week over the next month leading into the next concept and each concept builds on the next. And the first one, well, it actually fits in with our last episode, which is control what you can control. It was kind of nice to talk with the soups about getting their mindset right and redirecting when they feel well, like they're stuck. So that's where I've been. How about you, Sam? Yeah. Before I get into where I I've been, I saw on Facebook, Kevin put out a note to you and he said it went really, really well. And he was really appreciative for what you'd done to him. So it sounds like some really good stuff there. Thanks, Sam. It was. It was a blast to do it. It's always interesting in this day and age with the webinars, but you can always make them interactive. And we had some great group discussion. I mean, it was an hour long and we probably had, we went over about 15 minutes because we had probably 45 minutes of group discussion on what they can control and how to redirect that, that feeling if they can't control something. So I'm glad he liked it because we've got a few more coming. Yeah, that's awesome. And a great group down there in Virginia, Kevin Shaw and his team. Shout out to Shaw. He was actually our first ever guest on the podcast. So glad that you're still continuing to do stuff with Kevin. Well, I'll tell you, for me, where I've been is mostly in the Fowler Consulting World Headquarters, working on a lot of stuff moving forward. And uh, the big thing, though, I actually go on an annual golf trip every year that franchisee Eric Arnston puts together. Whole bunch of Domino's Pizza people there. Great chance to do some networking, talk about what's going on in the business today. Helps keep me current so that I can make sure that I'm helping my clients. You know, it's such a cool event. I almost feel like I should pick up golf so I can join that next year. Yeah, you know, I would love to see your, what is it, six foot seven? Is that right? Six foot seven frame swing a golf club. Yeah, and kind of lefty, sometimes righty. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, I think that would make for some amazing golf fail videos. And I say that with all the love in the world. Uh, Kenny Cobb's team saw me try and swing a golf club and they know it's a fail. Occasionally you hear, and it looks really good, but it's still a fail. 
You know, I was at an outing once and Bill Lambeer was there and uh, you and he are similar in height and he actually could swing the golf club. And with his height and the length of his golf clubs, he was dropping bombs out there like, oh my God, I think he was hitting at 350 or something. So, you know, I think there's a chance that you, you could get it if you wanted to. But my guess is you'd rather wave cigars over witch's brew than play golf. Oh, no. It's, yeah. I, I, when choices were made for hobbies, brewing beer was chosen over golf. So nice. Should that's we, the way it is. Should, should we get this, uh, this plane back on track? Yeah, I think we've, we've digressed a little bit. So let's talk training. Hit it, Tom. So let's talk training, Sam. Over the last week on Facebook, one of our listeners, Levi, asked us this question, or I guess statement. He said, I'd love to hear about getting everyone in the store on the same page of what's going on in the store. And I started to think about that, and I realized I, everything a manager does in the store revolves around how they communicate with their team and how they set expectations. And we've done a lot of talking about setting expectations. But last episode, when we talked to Stan, he had mentioned his vision and his mission. And his mission is great pizzas delivered in 21 minutes by a smiling driver. And Sam, I don't know about you, but when I hear that, I know exactly what I'm supposed to do because I'm either doing something that makes a great pizza, doing something that delivers it in 21 minutes, or I am that smiling driver. And if you think about that phrasing, getting your team on that same page with a line like that is so much easier when you have that vision or mission statement. Yeah, I think that's amazing. Uh, you, you know, obviously not a lot of bad things come out of Stan's mouth and, and that vision, like you said, lets every single team member know exactly what's going on. And I think that's the first step is deciding what it is you're trying to create in your store. So Levi, if you're listening, I think what you're hearing Drew and I both say is that's the first step is decide what that mission is going to be in your store. And maybe it's delivering 21, maybe it's delivering great pizzas in 21 minutes or less by a smiling face. Hey, if you like that, use it. Maybe it's something else that's personal to you that embodies the whole Domino's pizza product service image. Whatever it is to you, Make sure that you know it, you can recite it, and it, it flows out of your mouth as easily as it flow, flowed out of Stan's mouth in the last episode. And I think that's step one. Step two becomes posting that vision in your store and making sure that everybody sees it and everybody knows it and everybody understands what the team is going for. But I think the big part of it, the thing where you're really going to start to see some momentum change, the thing where you're going to start to see people getting on the same page. And quite frankly, you've probably got people that aren't even in the same book right now. So getting them on the same page is going to make sure that they're in the same book to begin with. And you knowing where you want to go, you've got to write the book. And then you open up the book to the page you want to be on, and you should be talking about it constantly. Every time you're in a rush, instead of just saying, hey, drive safely, buckle up, maybe you say, get it there in under 21 minutes with a smile on your face. We made it great. And you're reiterating what your vision is constantly. Constant communication, I think, is the key to keeping people on the same page. I, I completely agree. 
In fact, I agree so much. I quickly Googled and I was right. There is actually a book out there called, and I'm sorry, listeners, if you're eating right now, but it's called the puke factor because you are supposed to communicate something as a leader so often that you think, oh my God, if I have to say this one more time, I'm just going to throw up. And the reason it's called the puke factor is because once you've reached that point, oh my gosh, I've said this so many times. If I say this again, I'm just going to throw up is when your team actually finally hears it. You know, can I share a story about the puke factor? Please. I feel like I'm Drew Helmholtz right now. Can I share a story? I know. I know. I know. It's awesome. We're becoming an old married couple. Thanks, Dan, for putting that thought in our head. Yeah, no kidding. So our editor-in-chief, Lucas, uh, was a soccer player during high school. And he played goalie. And we went to all the games like, like parents do these days. And in the world of ESPN and top 10 plays... It seems like all the kids and all the teams are trying to do something that would get them on the top 10 plays of the day. And for me, I'm more of a Barry Sanders type of guy. You score a touchdown, you hand the football to the referee, and you go back to the sidelines because you've done your job. I'm not really big into the, the crazy celebrations. Listen, if you're into the crazy celebrations, good for you. I, it, it's just not my thing that doesn't mean it's bad. It doesn't mean I'm better than you or you're better than me. It just means we're different. So anyway, back to the soccer story in Lucas. Lucas had a teammate on his team that was quite possibly one of the best soccer players that Dexter had ever seen. And he was an amazing player. For my taste, he was a little too much of a showboat afterwards. And there was one particular time we were at a game and, and I think it was a state quarterfinal or something. The game was zero to zero was coming down to the end. And this young man had the ball. He's attacking the goal. He makes just a beautiful shot. I mean, and it was, it was amazing to watch. And then he ran over in front of the opposing team's crowd and ripped off his shirt and started pointing to himself. And I just started shaking my head. And every time something like that had happened during the season, I always told Lucas, you know, if you ever do anything like that and embarrass your team and embarrass your family and embarrass us, I will come out onto the field and I will pull you off the field immediately. <laughs> so go back to this game and we're walking back to the car. And this is where the whole, you know, say it till you feel like you're going to puke thing comes in. And we're not in the car for 10 seconds. And the first word out of my mouth is Lucas. And he says, let me stop you right there, dad. I know if I ever do anything like that, you will come out onto the field and pull me off kicking and screaming. And at that point, I, I, I knew that me saying it over and over and over again had helped shape his value system into the same value system I had. So I think if you are in your stores and you're constantly talking about delivering great pizzas in under 21 minutes with a smile on your face and people start finishing your sentences, Levi, that's when you know you're on the same page. That whole book about the puking and saying it until you puke, Drew, that, that's magic and that's spot on. And, and we're just missing it. And it makes sense why we're missing it because there's so many things going on. As a leader, I think I got to talk about food and labor and service and training and staffing and, 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 but I don't, I can keep my message tight and I can, if I keep my message tight, I can reference back. Hey, I got to have a clean store because how do you have a clean store? Well, you can't make great pizzas in a dirty store because well, 
you know, the pizza touches all the dirty some point, right? Like I can reference everything back into that statement. You're not smiling as the driver. If the store is 96 degrees, I can reference everything back into the statement. So instead of everything being about this and this and this, and, and uh, what I used to call flavor of the week leadership, where every day or every week was some right? new challenge, yeah. keep it to the same message. Sam, I want to talk about how they deliver that message too, because I want to talk about crew meetings for a second. How do you feel about crew meetings? Now, Actually, before you answer, I just want to let the listeners know, Sam knew I was going to ask this, but neither of us have any idea how the other feels about crew meetings at this moment. And if you can see the look on both of our faces right now, we're like, okay, well, Stan, how much of an old married couple are we right now? So, uh, so here's my thought on crew meetings. Um, I'm a big fan. I think they should be short and sweet and to the point. They should be, I mean, 15 to 30 minutes tops. And there should be something there for the team, a box of donuts, something to snack on, something to get them there. And then for me, this is the big, the biggest part of a crew meeting. I don't care who you are. I don't care who your team is. You're not going to be able to have one crew meeting where everybody is there. If you've got a message you want to disseminate to the entire team, my guess is you're going to have to have two, maybe three of these 15-minute get-togethers or crew meetings or maybe they're not crew meetings. Maybe they are a huddle before the shift. Maybe it's... Hey, 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 hey. Maybe hey, they're... Hey, slow down. Slow down there, cowboy. <laughs> Drew, take it away. Welcome to... It was a little bit of a setup on my part because I wanted to talk about crew meetings because I don't believe in today's dominoes. They're as effective as they were 10 or 15 years ago. I agree. I mean, I mean, let's let's... Think of it when, when you and I are running stores, most stores opened at four. I could do a crew meeting at two o'clock on a Saturday and get 90% of my staff, which is nine of my 10 people. There you go. There. Today's Domino's has what? 20, 25 people on staff. To your point, Sam, I got to have people, I got to do this, this meeting two, three times to get everybody in. Yeah. In the, in the words of sweet Georgia Brown, ain't nobody got time for that. No, that's just it. And and I know when I was in the corporate stores, I'd hear about GMs doing crew meetings at like like 7 a.m. on a Sunday. So, right? So, so, oh my gosh. Hey, hey, AM, will you close on Saturday? And then three hours later, please show up to the store at 7 a.m. for donuts and coffee and a 30-minute meeting. And insert expletive here. Or, hey, AM, I know you're closing tonight and your shift starts at 6 p.m., but instead, could you show up at 7 a.m.? I, 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 am, I am so against the crew meeting of old at this point. And yes, Sam, I am all in on the pre-rush huddle because to our point in the previous messaging about having that statement, I can get the crew together for five minutes as they're coming in and clocking in. I can go over 30 seconds, man. This is what it is today. We're trying to be a point two load. We're trying to be, you know, at the door less than 20. You're, you're giving me a finger. You, you, you have a thought. I'm going to actually stop and allow Sam to interject at this moment. So Levi, here's the short answer to your question. We, we've rambled on uh, in the fine words of Led Zeppelin. We've rambled on here for about 10 minutes. That's a good song too. Yeah, it is uh, about this. And I think we've come to the conclusion that doing a huddle is the way to go. The first thing out of your mouth during the huddle should be your vision. 
listen, we're going to deliver great pizzas tonight in under 21 minutes and do it with a smile on our face. And this is how it's going to happen. You've got to keep puking out your vision so that they understand it. And every message you are going to send to your crew, everything that you're going to try to get them to do has got to tie back into that vision and that singular mission of what you want to make happen. And to Sam's earlier point, Stan is all about that statement. You have to find that statement for you. And maybe your franchisees got it and you buy in. Maybe you want to use the Domino's one, you know, handle the rush or taking great care of customers, whatever, whatever thing calls to you, but it's got to be you. Because if it's not you, then that message is going to be instantly called out by your team and, and they're going to know it. You know, if you're going to talk about, I always put people first. And then the next thing is, and by the way, Sam, the closer called out and now you got to stay four extra hours. Yeah. <laughs> not, not really the messaging you want. Just put me first. You know, Drew, we've been really fortunate to talk to a lot of great leaders. Dan Gage, Don May, Patrick Doyle, David Brandon, Kevin Shaw, Eric Arnston, uh, you know, Anthony Satterwhite, Emily Elwell, three-time manager of the year, Luann Dellinger. And, and they all say the same thing. They all say, we've got to make sure the team knows what we're pushing for. And if you listened to their missions or their visions, they all basically say the same thing. Uh, it's what Tom said in, in 1960, product, service, and image. They all circle around those things. Just put it in words that resonate with you. And if you've heard one that you like and you want to steal it, I'm giving you permission right now to steal it and use it. And unless Stan Gage calls us and tells us, I don't want anybody using my vision, which he will not do, then use that one if you like it. If it resonates with you and it's something that comes and, and puts a little extra kick in your step, then use it. But these quick pre-rush prep meetings, these quick lineups that you see at, an, at every single restaurant you ever go to, they do a lineup before the shift starts. They're checking image. They're letting people know what we're trying to do. They're talking about the specials. Started out with that mission and everything should easily come back to that mission. And if you've ever done that, that full service restaurant, they usually do two huddles because they do one for the kitchen staff and one for the wait staff. And you could do the exact same thing because let's be honest, most of you schedule your drivers in earlier than the rush is needed. So they're standing around waiting for that delivery. Great time. This does not need to be a long thing. We're talking a minute, a minute and a half every single day, right before your rush starts. You know, you schedule all your drivers at five o'clock. So at 5.04, here's your one minute. And you know, all your CSRs come in at 5.30. So, so same thing, 5.35. Here's what we're doing today, folks. Or, you know, if you've got them staggered in, if you got them in at 4, 4.15, 4.45, 5, once the last one is there, take a minute. And give them today's cheer and, you know, here's our mission. Here's how we're going to do it. This is what we're going to do. It's time to create great, long-lasting experiences for our customers. Let's go out and do it. It's amazing how we looked at that two different ways because, Sam, I haven't seen anyone stagger in months. <laughs> so really? I just wow. went right to, oh, yeah. Yeah. Every every schedule I've seen, the, the staggering usually all ends in double zeros, like doing it for five in at five, six in at six kind of thing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 
Crazy. Well, if that's what you're doing and it's working for you, go for it. That's going to make your huddle a little easier. If you are staggering and that's working for I you for staggering, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> <laughs> stuttering. Staggering. Yeah. I'm, I'm big into the staggered starts as well. I think it helps you run labor and service, but anyway, that's another topic for another day as my friend Drew Helmholtz would say. It is. And we'll probably actually talk about that on the virtual training event that's happening the day this podcast drops. Let's hear an ad for that virtual training event right now. Hey, Drew, we've got two virtual trainings in and the listeners are telling us that they want more. I hear that too, Sam. So you know what? Let's do it. Let's go for October 26th for Drew and Sam Talk Training Virtual Training Event 3. I like it. Let's discuss effective training performance coaching, and feedback with a flourish, all in time for the big Halloween weekend. And you know what? Let's charge the 49 bucks to get in for the two-hour event. But Sam, I think we've got something special for our listeners. Yeah, let's do that $5 discount. We'll use discount code PODCAST. For any of our loyal listeners, you can save five bucks off that already ridiculously low price of just 49 bucks. Where should they register, Drew? To register, go to trainwithbty.com. That's trainwithbty.com. All right, looking forward to VTE3, Drew. How about you? Absolutely. It's amazing that we finally get to talk training. That was the whole message right there. We finally get to talk training. Yeah, that's pretty cool. (laughs) Hey, remind the listeners one more time in case they missed it. How do they register for virtual training event number three? The same way they did for one or two, they go to trainwithbty.com. That's trainwithbty.com. Looking forward to seeing you all on that virtual training event on October 26th at 2 p.m. Hey, Burgess, take it away, my friend. Books, books, all the books I'll need, all the books, all the books I'll ever want. So on this episode. We're going to look at the book Emotional Intelligence for Leaders, originally published in 2020, author Christopher D. Connors. Drew, I think both you and I had a challenge reading this book because as we got farther and farther in it, and we had a couple of discussions throughout the week leading up to the recording of this podcast, I think we both decided that this book is not to be read cover to cover in one or two sittings, that it's more of, I don't know, what did you call it? More of a a manual and there's starting and stopping points in it. So while I was reading it, my wife was making fun of me because I'd read like six pages and stop and put the book down and walk away and come back. And she's like, I've never seen you read a book like this. And I had to show her, I'm like, that's because every chapter is four or five pages, but then two or three activities. And some of the activities take days or weeks. And the next chapter is built on the activities. So for Sam and I to read this book and for the listeners, we are literally reading books every 10 ish days so that we can record for the next podcast. It's not feasible with this book. It made the end of the book so much harder because we hadn't done the work at the start because we had only a few days to read the book for the listeners. This is absolutely a usable, fantastic book because it, it, it gives it to you quite honestly, the way I teach a class, it gives you the concept and then it gives you the practice. And then it gives you the solo action. Like, here's what you need. Here's how you do it. Now go try it. And it does that for everything through the book. And the funniest part about that is that this book clocks in at a hundred and maybe 30 pages of content. 
140 pages of content. So Sam and I are like, yes, a short book. Nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> yeah, I had a similar experience here at the Fowser Consulting World Resources on the the back deck here at the at the World Resource Center. Fortunate to have an outside deck here at my office slash home. And both Emily and my wife Cindy <laughs> kept looking at me and like, why is the book down again? And I'm like, because I need to absorb what I just did and I I need a break and I I can't go on to step two because it's got me thinking about step one. And it was it was a very, very challenging read in a short time frame. But I'm with you, Drew. I think I think this is a book that our listeners need to grab. And I think they need to go through it and spend a couple of months with the book doing the practices in there that are just fantastic. I'll just share a couple of things with it and then we'll we'll jump to our review. Christopher does a great job of name dropping in this book. You know, he Yes, he does. You know, there was a page where he talked about Travis Bradbury who wrote Squawk that we talked about in an earlier episode. He drops Ken Blanchard's name, which was a one minute manager that we just did. He talks about your favorite guy, Simon Sinek. He mentioned Jim Collins. I mean, he's just, he's dropping all kinds of names with stuff that we really liked in other books, which, you know, if you're a trainer, you know, that's what we do. We read stuff, we pick it up and then we just change it just a little bit and make it our own and, and put it out there. So, so that was really good. You're going to hear in our interview a little bit later, Jeremy Hill talks about an experience where he was up to become a manager and he didn't get it. And in the book, Emotional Intelligence, there's a quote that I just love. And it was, no just means there's a better yes coming. So gang, when you're out there and you hear a no, that's not the end of your journey. That's a small bump in the road. It's a chance for you to look in the mirror and decide what it is you need to do to make sure that you are undeniably the best candidate for whatever it is you want to do next. You know, I, I can't speak for Drew, but I know for a fact I've been told no many times. And it always led to a better yes. And the reason that I'm fortunate enough to be able to sit here behind this microphone and and talk to our listeners is because of not all the yeses that have come in my nearly four decade career, but also because of the no's. The no's were the things that made you dig down and see where you needed to improve and see what you needed to do better. So I thought that was, I thought that was pretty important. It is hugely important. That whole, gosh, he's got it split into, I think it's four parts. And the first part is that self-assessment. That was the part where for me was the hardest part of the read, because like we were saying, it's, it's, two or three pages. So it's not like you're reading a lot, but then it's these assessments and these exercises. And you said it great, Sam, you got to stop and put it down and walk away. And to give the listeners a little bit of an example of where this book goes, we're talking self-assessments and figuring out your, your why, because he does mention cynic with that, but on like page 70. So we're just past that halfway mark. One of his first steps exercise is a five-year plan. That's right. In a hundred words, describe the job you'd love to have that meshes with your talents, knowledge, skills, experience, and passion. That's not something that you can stop and just skip when the next part is transforming and using your, your five-year plan. 
So like, like this book is completely, if you don't do the things he's asking you to do, it gets harder and harder because he's referencing everything you've done through the book to get through the next section. It's all foundational building blocks. Yeah. And for me, you know, at the tender age of 56, you know, my five-year plan is semi-retirement. I want to keep doing what I'm doing. I just don't want to do it as much. And I'm just thinking, my goodness gracious, if I'd have had this book in front of me when I was 18, 19, or 20, you know, man, what an amazing tool this book would have been. I think it could be a manual for you that you, that you keep with you all the time. And again, the challenge of reading this book in the time frame that we had between episodes and, and getting something that listeners could use. You know, I don't know about you, Drew, but for me, when he starts doing those assessments and I read them, I started thinking about them. And even though I started yes. reading the next page, my brain was still thinking about the assessment. And I'd be a page and a half in and going, I have no idea what I just read because I'm still thinking about these really well thought out assessments and real thought provoking questions that don't give you a heck of a lot of direction. I mean, they are as open ended as they come and and they really got me thinking. And I think if you sit down with this book and you don't have the goal of finishing it, which would be a horrible goal for this book in one sitting. And you go through and you do what he's asking you to do. I think you're going to find that it's going to help you build a roadmap to wherever it is that you want to get to. And I think having a roadmap is so important in these days, especially we're so busy and things are coming at us so fast. I think a lot of you out there are in survival mode and you simply want to put the key in the door and open it up and hope that you get through the day. And the ones out there that are going to be the most successful, the ones out there that are going to become franchisees or take the step from single unit manager to multi-unit manager, the ones that are going to find success and happiness and work-life balance and be able to do the things for your families that you want to do are the ones that have plans and they're working towards it. And they understand that there's roadblocks and things are going to happen. But I think this book would be a great tool for you if you're out there. I'm going to share one more piece from the book, and then let's jump into the final review, unless you've got something as well, Drew. Early on in the book, he says, and I'll just read it word for word, surround yourself with positive, goal-oriented individuals who continue to push you to be better by challenging your thinking and providing accountability when needed. This means admitting you don't know all of the answers, that you need a great team around you to fill in the gaps. And here comes the really important part as far as I'm concerned and being okay with that vulnerability and open-mindedness. I see far too many young leaders think that asking for help is a sign of weakness when in fact, I think it's a sign of strength. I think if there's something you don't know, you've got to ask. And if you surround yourself with goal-oriented individuals who continue to push you to be better, you're going to find that you get better. And if you're a general manager listening right now and you're saying, Sam, I can't surround myself with those people. They're just not available to hire. Well, you've got peers. You've got other general managers you could surround yourself with. And you know the ones that are goal-orientated and you know the ones that are simply putting in their time and collecting a check. Hang out with the ones that are goal-oriented. If you're on the Facebook page, you can tell just by the posts who the Anthony Satterwhites of the world are that are goal oriented and pushing you. And you can tell who the negative Nellies are. Oh, cutting edge will never work. You don't understand my volume. Just completely separate yourself from the negative Nellies 
and start associating yourself with the Anthony Satterwhites of the world. If you do that, you're going to be in the mindset where you can be successful. I completely agree. And and it's funny you mentioned as a trainer, we take little bits because when we did clone yourself, I talked about, oh my gosh, I, I can already set up a class for this. And I have actually set up not classes, but webinars to help people go through the clone yourself process. And I think the emotional intelligence book actually comes first. Figure out who you are and why, and then take the clone yourself. Because now that you have that foundation, you can actually build out on the clone yourself and get to that place you want to get to faster. And you said something very interesting. I want to piggyback on before we get to the, the where this book goes. You'd mentioned those that are in survival mode or just putting a key in and trying to get through the day. Folks, I get it. However, that becomes a habit. And that's how you go. Where'd the last six months go? Where'd the last nine months go? Where'd the last 18 months go? And all of a sudden, this is going to sound nuts, but, but literally years have passed on and, and you're basically in the same place. You might be in a different store. You might be in a, with a different franchisee, but you're in the same place. Take the time to invest in yourself for what, Sam, 50 bucks, the two books. I think for me, if I took four months where I was doing like maybe in the beginning, you can get through a couple of them. Like you can get through the first 20, 25 pages in the sitting, but then, then you hit this wall when it's self-assessment starts where it's like two or three pages a week do the assessments, do the follow-up and really do what he's asking. I think three, four months, you end this book and then you go into clone yourself and you have this foundation where you can, you can get to the place you want to get to in five years. I mean, you said you want self-retirement in five years, five years. I'm looking to have the better than yesterday empire. I'm looking for online. I've got designers I'm working with outside of this because I know I'm not the best person at building a storyline model or a captivate mod module. So I'm finding people who are better at things than me to fill in my gaps. And I want the empire because that's what I do. Um. <laughs> no, and I think that's great. And, and here's the good news. If you've been in survival mode for the last three weeks, three months, heck, 18 months, tomorrow's a new day. Tomorrow is the first day of the rest of your career. It doesn't matter what happened yesterday. What matters is what you're going to do to change tomorrow. And I think emotional intelligence for the modern leader would be a great way for you to start your journey or for you to continue your journey. And, and Drew, you're spot on. You hit the, the nail right on the head. I think it's very important that you find out who you are and what you want to be before you start cloning yourself. Otherwise, you're going to have very bad clones. I agree. So with that, this book, I know we took the nightstand away. So, so I think this book is firmly on my desk where I actually start my weeks on Sunday. I, I like to get stuff done Sunday night. So this is now my Sunday night book where I'll, I'll read a couple pages again on Sunday nights and start to follow through on the assessments as opposed to what we did reading this, which is run through them. So yeah, this is firmly on the desk for me. How about you, Sam? Yeah, I like that. And I think that fits with exactly where you're at in your life and where you want to go. And I think for our listeners, if I were a listener and if I were in the beginning of the career, for me, it would be on the desk as well. For me, it's going to be on the shelf. And that's simply because I am steadfast in wanting to slow this thing down and, and be done in the next four or five years. So, you know, I don't need to find out what I want to be. I want to be a golfer. I want to be a biker. And, and those are the things I want to do. But if I'm 
beginning my journey, this one has got to be on the desk and I've got to be spending some time with it. And I've got to be doing the things in it that it's telling me to do to find myself. And maybe when, once you find yourself, it'll be much easier to get out of survival mode because you'll know what you want to do. If you're simply going to a Domino's pizza store to pay your bills, to me, you're missing the biggest opportunity that I've ever been fortunate to have. And that's to pay my bills and have a great time doing it and have just an amazing opportunity along the way. So again, for me on the shelf, but I recommend to all of our listeners who are in the beginning of the journey that this one should be exactly where it is with you, Drew, and that's on the desk. Thanks, Chris Connors. I'm sure you're listening to this podcast because uh, you're Googling <laughs> everything that's going on with your book. A great book. And for me, I highly suggest that all of our listeners get it and, and do exactly what we talked about in the last few minutes. And that's make your way through it and do the work and keep it with you. And it should be, it should be part of your tool belt. So with that, I think it's time to hear a little bit from our man, Liam. I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. So Sam, what is it that you've taken from the stores? So for me, like I said, in On the Road, I've been spending a lot of time here at the Fowler Consulting World Headquarters. Been doing a little cleaning up and I came across something that I pulled out one of the stores and that is a tool that is called the Portion Pal from FIFO Innovations. And I put a link to this a couple of months ago on the Facebook page and a couple of people jumped on it, but I, I thought it was worth talking about again. One of the products that I think we really struggle with running consistent food costs, but more importantly, running consistent product to the customer is Alfredo sauce. And this portion pal is similar to a caulk gun. You fill this thing up, it's got a plunger, it's got a trigger, and every time you squeeze the trigger, it puts out exactly one ounce of Alfredo sauce. So as I'm teaching somebody to make a pasta, you know, they're doing a chicken Alfredo in a dish and it gets four ounces of, of Alfredo sauce, I don't have to tell them four ounces. I don't have to tell them to weigh it out. I have to tell them, grab the portion pal and squeeze that thing four times. and and then you've got it. And because of the way it's designed, it's got a squeegee-like plunger that goes down. I'm telling you, there is zero waste. So if you get everything out of the bag and into the portion pal, you're going to get everything out of the portion pal and to the customer. And I hear franchisees over and over and over again saying, oh my God, I'm wasting so much Alfredo or we're going through so much Alfredo or Customers are saying it's underportioned or overportioned. It's never the same. It's like I'm going to Little Caesars. The pizza is never the same. So this portion pal for nice me, dig. yeah, this portion pal for me is a tool that's amazing. It's available at Websterant.com, and a starter set is like thirty-four bucks. I'm going to try to get a link up on my website so you can go directly to it. If it's not there, just go to WebstaurantStore.com and search FIFO Innovations Portion Pal. You can also get it direct from FIFO Innovations. But this thing is amazing, Drew. A special thanks to Eric Lockhart in Iowa. He's the one that first put me onto it. He's got it in all his stores. 
I put it in Lance Vosberg's high volume store in Centralia, Illinois, and they seem to really enjoy it and love it. I'm a huge fan. That's an awesome one, Sam. How about you, Drew? What are you taking? I'm going to stick with the food thing and the Eric thing as well, except mine is a shout out to my man, Eric Osterhelt. I believe he's in Australia now. Is he really? Uh, doing? He is. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I think he's business director over Asia. If he's listening, you can correct me. When he was a DCO in Virginia, he, he had the same problem everybody does. He was using the scales. And nobody liked the cords because the cords on the scales would always get cut by the make line being pushed back and forth. So they do batteries. And what happens, Sam, when you're using a scale that has batteries? The batteries go dead. And who keeps 30 extra, whatever they are, C or D batteries in their store? Uh, Nobody. Right. So within a week, everybody's batteries are dead and they stop using the scales. So Eric being so much smarter than me goes, why don't we just use rechargeable batteries? So that's my take in. If you're using the scales to weigh product, why aren't you using rechargeable batteries? Just go buy the rechargeable batteries. You can get a set of batteries for each of your scales and one extra set that's in the charger so that when one set dies, you replace them and put those in the charger and voila, you have scales that are operational all the time. I don't know about you, Drew. But it's times like this right now that I say to myself, that's a great song, by the way, times like these great song, but that's a different story for a different day that I say to myself something so simple. And yet I'm hearing it for the first time. It's just, I'm a little disappointed in myself that I haven't known about this before. And if you're listening and you're using those scales that everybody's using, Man, if the first thing you don't do when you get off this podcast is first go to webstaurant.com and get a portion pal. And second, find out where you can get some C-cell rechargeable batteries for your scales. Um, Oh my gosh. Wow. That right there was worth the price of admission to today's podcast. Those two things. Then if that's the case, then let's just go right into an ad for our next virtual training event, Sam. I like it. Hey, Drew, we've got two virtual trainings in and the listeners are telling us that they want more. I hear that too, Sam. So you know what? Let's do it. Let's go for October 26th for Drew and Sam Talk Training Virtual Training Event 3. I like it. Let's discuss effective training, performance coaching, and feedback with a flourish all in time for the big Halloween weekend. And you know what? Let's charge the 49 bucks to get in for the two-hour event. But Sam, I think we've got something special for our listeners. Yeah, let's do that $5 discount. We'll use discount code PODCAST. For any of our loyal listeners, you can save five bucks off that already ridiculously low price of just 49 bucks. Where should they register, Drew? To register, go to trainwithbty.com. That's trainwithbty.com. All right. So that's uh, virtual training event number three coming up again on October 26th. Drew, one more time for our listeners. How do they register? At trainedwithbty.com. You can click events at the top and it'll take you right to all of the fabulous things going on in our training world. That's fantastic. Next up on the docket here on the fabulous Drew and Sam Talk Training Podcast, we've got an interview with the 2021 Supervisor of the Year, Jeremy Hill. Stevie, take it away. You can talk to me. Talk to me. You can talk to me. 
Welcome to another great interview in Drew and Sam Talk Training. Today, our guest is National Supervisor of the Year, Jeremy Hill. How are you doing, Jeremy? I'm doing great. How are you guys? I'm doing fantastic. Yeah, I'm super as well. We can't uh, thank you enough for taking some time out of your busy day, Jeremy. We appreciate you. Yeah, glad to do it. Jeremy, for those in the listening audience that may not know who you are. Can you give us a brief history? Give us your story. Uh, Yeah. So when I was younger, I was into a lot of nerdy stuff. I was a clown and a magician that led me into the entertainment business. I was doing, I was a wedding DJ and uh, kind of became a corporate event planner. Um, My wife and I wanted to move back to Springfield, Missouri. So we were, as I was driving around town, I saw a sign for uh, hiring future general manager. And I thought it'd be cool to manage the future. So I, uh, I went there and uh, kind of the rest is history. I, I was a, an MIT for about four months. I came up under some really great general managers uh, under A&M Pizza. I have fantastic franchisees, uh, Art Herto and Marty Prather. Some of the GMs around me, I did all of my MIT time under uh, Jeff Stegan, who's kind of just like, he's kind of like the godfather, the papa bear of the A&M GMs. We uh, served there together for about four months. And then I went, uh, got my opportunity to run a store in Republic, Missouri, store 1625. I ran that store for maybe 16 months or so. And then uh, I interviewed for another store, our highest volume store, and I didn't get the position. And uh, I was a little upset about it. But as it turned out, it was the best thing that ever happened to me because my next opportunity was a was a store that my uh, franchisees purchased. There was a one store franchisee in our area. They sent me there. It was sitting on a, a zero star. And uh, I took that store, turned it around. It's a fantastic store that's uh, won a Rolex now and uh, probably almost quadrupled the sales um, since we took it over. It's been, uh, I've spent uh, maybe nine years there. Um, and now I'm a, then I became an area supervisor for the last few years. And uh, recently I was promoted to director of operations. We purchased 15 stores in Northwest Arkansas. I uh, got the opportunity now to oversee 32 stores for A&M Pizza in a couple of different states. Wow, that's fantastic. You know, Drew and I had the opportunity to see you in St. Louis at that manager's rally that we did. And that was fantastic. We really enjoyed that. When you got up to speak the first time, you talked about having a BHAG. First of all, for our listeners that don't know what a BHAG is, can you let them know what that is? And then second of all, tell them what your BHAG was. Yeah, so a BHAG is a big, hairy, audacious goal. Now, the first time I heard it, I actually thought it. Was, they said a, a big, hairy, audacious gal. And I thought they were talking about my mom. Um, so I was going to introduce everybody, but it, it turns out a big, hairy, audacious goal. And my big, hairy, audacious goal was that uh, I want to speak on the Vegas rally stage at some point in my career. The mini rally that we got to do in St. Louis, there were some awesome franchisees who put that together. People like Anthony Satterwhite, Emily Elwell, Jimmy Rudlinger, and Sheldon Port, Mike Harding, Alan Irwin. They got together and put together a small mini rally in St. Louis. I got to speak on the stage there twice. And it was, you know, to me that if I never get the chance to speak in Vegas, I won't feel like I didn't hit my goal because there was a fantastic group of of general managers. Um, And I'm very passionate about GMs to spend some time doing that. And and if I had one career goal, it's going to help 
you know, it's going to help Domino's people, uh, you know, reach their career goals. That's that's probably what I'm most passionate about. And I get that from my franchisees, Art and Marty. That is, if you were to ask them what they do, they would tell you that's what they do. Uh, they they make franchisees out of general managers. Speaking of St. Louis and making franchisees out of general managers, by the way, I really like that line. I'm actually typing it as you say it, because that's a really good line. In that St. Louis rally, I believe I came up and said, there's no such thing as a silver bullet and promptly got booed because you stood up the day before and said, there is a silver bullet in very small window. Could you explain to our audience what your silver bullet is? Yeah. So I would say every time I've ever been to a rally, I've heard somebody say there's no silver bullet, there's no magic bullet, there's no, you know, and and the more I listen to it, the more what I realize what they're trying to say is what I've seen over and over again to be true. When people say there's no silver bullet, what they mean is where they live, what they do is not magic. And that it really is the effort that you put forward and you put into something. If you want to move the needle on your ADT, it takes effort. If you want to move the needle on your uh, SPLH, it takes effort. If you want to, you know, change your culture in your store, uh, make it a place where people want to work and increase your retention, then it takes effort. And so I always say that effort is the silver bullet. If I recall, you had you had put effort into like a, an anagram or what the heck ever it's called. Tell us what each one of those letters in effort stood for when it came to your silver bullet. Without the notes right in front of me, I'd have to remember them all. But they're basically, you have to evaluate the situation, evaluate your metrics and find your opportunity. And then you've got to constantly be taking feedback from people and find out whether or not that's the right way to get it done. People always ask me how they build confidence in their job. And I always tell them that confidence is not something you're born with. You get confidence by repetition with feedback. And so getting that feedback, a lot of managers would say, well, I'm already putting in a lot of effort. I'm working 60, 70 hours a week. And I don't doubt for a minute that that you are one of the hardest working people. I think our GMs are some of the hardest working people in the restaurant industry, period. I think that the difference is you have to evaluate, you've got to take the feedback, and then you have to operate accordingly, meaning you've got to lead by example in your store. You've got to use teamwork to celebrate the wins. And you have to constantly be looking at what you're doing every day that that's actually working. Find out, is this working? Do exit interviews if you're having a retention problem. Uh, pull your sales versus labor report if you're having a problem running your SPLH uh, or your labor percent. Uh, just, just going through and taking constant uh, feedback from the people around you and, and celebrate every little win. Every little win. Yeah, I like that a lot. One of the things we're going to be talking about on our next virtual training is all around service. And we're going to be hitting the fast part of service a lot. If I remember correctly, in one of your opportunities that you got to get up on the stage in St. Louis, you talked about the importance of being nice, which to me is the more important part of service. There's fast, 
and there's nice. And for those of those that have been around for a while, remember when we used to have all the posters and everything that said fast and nice, and you got to be fast, you got to be nice. Why do you think, Jeremy, that being nice is so important if we want to continue to widen the gap between number one and number two? And in these days where it seems like we're selling more pizzas than we could possibly want to, why is it important to never lose a customer? In our DMA, we've been, we've been fast for a long time. But very recently, did we become the dominant number one in our DMA? And I think that the big difference has been being nice. Now, I, I call it the customer experience. See, a lot of times we use the goal as something that's a metric. And a metric is a really great picture of what goes on. It's a great, great way for us to judge ourselves. But if we hang our hat on the metric, we have to remember that our customers are not having a metric. Our customers are having an experience and that's based in, you know, it's, that's sensory and emotional. There's things that they're seeing, hearing, tasting, smelling, and, and feeling when they're there that we have to take into account. And I think we use it talking about the customer experience as a way to rehumanize the customer. Stop looking at them as if they're just a metric. That's, this is Cindy and, and her kids. They are not a, 2.1 minute load time and a fast turnaround. They're a very nice family. Um, and they come into Domino's every week, sometimes more than that. And we talk to them and we engage them. And I think that until we rehumanize our customers and stop treating them like a metric or stop thinking of them as a metric, it doesn't matter how fast we are. I always say, I'd rather be nice. And, and it is nice to be fast. This is kind of what I tell my guys. So along those lines, how do you help instill that culture of nice in your team? What helps make Jeremy Hill National Supervisor of the Year? Well, I would say one, as far as the National Supervisor of the Year, I had eight fantastic general managers. And these are guys that are very passionate. They care a great deal. I was surprised to win the award. I didn't even know. No one told me. My bosses kept it a secret until uh, the virtual awards came out. We were all watching them that morning. So it was a, it was a very pleasant surprise. I was very excited. It was my, kind of my last chance to win a national award. And that was always one of the things I wanted to do. But I walked around to every one of my GMs and I shook their hand because they, they don't look at my numbers. They look at the culmination of all of their numbers. So I was privileged to win that. I would say what kind of helped me rise to the top as far as becoming a supervisor was just that like I, I all of my customers were were people and and I know that sounds to a lot of like everyone's like well yeah all of our customers are people um, but do we treat them that way do we stop and engage them at every opportunity you know I can toss dough and engage a customer when they come in and and then now I've been around some really great general managers in Northwest Arkansas and and a supervisor named uh, Don Calhoun and and he lives and breathes rehumanizing the customer to the point where he doesn't call them customers. He actually calls them friends. And the reason is because he feels like friend has a, has a lot of better words associated with it. You know, friends are loyal, they are kind. And if we want to treat them like human beings, we start with treating them like friends first. And that's, that's uh, something that I've learned from the people around me. But I think that we train it every day. We don't say that the goal is to get a lower ADT. The goal is to get the Johnson family their pizza as quickly as possible. And that every one of those pizzas that gets to them, every slice is a meal. And that's what my boss Marty says, every slice is a meal. So we try to train the why along with 
the what we're trying to get done. If we if we skip that process, if we skip saying that something is important because of the fact that it's another human being, then all we do is make people want to get a metric down. And I've seen it in person. I've been in stores where I saw a driver clock a delivery out early. And I was like, you know, I, I never get, I never yell at anybody because I don't want them to go on the defensive. I just asked them, hey, why'd you do that? Was your run, you know, ready to go? He said, no, no, the, the goal is to get this number down. And he points over at this sheet of metrics. And I realized then that this guy was not doing it to cheat. He was doing it because he thought that was the right thing to do. He thought that was the goal. And we can't take that for granted in our stores. If we don't train the why, we're doing something. Why something is important, then it's hard to rehumanize a customer. And it's really hard to capture nice in any way. I love what you did there, talking about the driver who was quite possibly inaccurately reporting the data and, and you were finding out the whys so that you could better train. I think it's really important that we take inventory of what our team members know and the reasons why they're doing it as well. I love that you're doing that. And I would say that's probably a big reason why you have such high functioning teams. I want to go back to what you said. Every slice is a meal. Drew and I have talked in previous episodes about the declining pizza quality that that unfortunately we see as we travel around the country. What are you doing in your stores to make sure that your teams understand the building blocks and the basics of this business, which is product, service, and image? And how do you get them to realize that every slice is indeed a meal? And by the way, I'll be stealing that as well. So I think that's two things so far in this interview that Drew and I will be stealing. That is all credit to to Marty Prather. So when I was in MIT, I, I made a pizza and uh, Marty was always very critical of our pizzas. And uh, so I thought, okay, it'd be fun to make a perfect pizza. So I, I stretched it out. This pizza took me like 11, 12 minutes to make. I got a measuring tool that perfectly spaced apart all of the pepperoni. And Marty walks over to the pizza and he looks at it and he picks up one of the pepperonis and he rotates. Now, mind you, pepperonis are round. And there's no top and bottom, but he rotates it, sets it back down and said, almost perfect. Now, there would be some people who would get very mad about that. I internalized it and asked, you know, Marty's kind of my whiskey philosopher. And I asked myself, what's he trying to, what's his, what's his goal here? And his goal is that we should never stop trying to get better as pizza makers. We have that as our culture. We, you don't arrive at great pizza maker and you stop growing. You're constantly trying to improve, whether you're a supervisor, director of operations, franchisee, or the people who do it every day, like a general manager or an MIT. Your, your job is to grow as a pizza maker. And we have to remember that if we personalize the customer experience, the way we talk about uh, when it comes to speed, we talk about that same when it comes to product quality. You know, you never know when what a pizza situation is going to be, right? I mean, if you order pizza and it comes in and there's a big group, you start doing that pizza math right away. Okay, well, there's nine people and there's and there's uh, 16 slices. So if I want to get three slices, I've got to eat at this many bites per minute, right? I mean, that's what you got to do. You got to do the pizza math. Well, sometimes people just get a slice and that's the that's all they get. That represents Domino's to them. And have they ever had Domino's before? So we treat every slice like it represents Domino's to our customers and our friends. And we talk about that 
from the way we place toppings to the way that we cut the pizza to the smiling face that presents it. I love that answer. Jeremy, speaking of nice, I want to pull away from the pizza for a second and go back to nice. I'd like to tell a story, if I may. My wife works for a retail company and recently a customer she was helping walked up to her district manager who happened to be in the store and looked at the district manager and said, I want you to know that Jody is awesome and she's a great employee. And the district manager responded to the customer, absolutely, she's one of our best. Now, Jeremy, here's where this story gets a little weird. That district manager has never said one word to my wife in the now 11 months that she's worked there. If that were you and you were in a store and could make eye contact with your team member and a customer said, I just want to let you know that Sam is a great team member, what would you do for Sam that team member. If I were the district manager, we'd know each other <laughs> uh, already. I think that until you treat it, I always say that you can't serve a customer well until you serve the people who are serving the customers. Because as a general manager, you know we've moved from the dough table kind of to the oven, and now the best ones are on a route rack and they're expoing, and they are not having all of the customer interactions. So we have to show our people, personify it. As far if you want to be a good leader, you got to show them that they're valuable and how you want people to interact with them. If I got that, I have handwritten letters uh, to my team members to thank them for what they do. I recognize them. I get their picture and send that picture around to the bosses and make sure everybody knows, you know, who's driving the nice who's driving the customer experience in our individual stores. And that's usually what I, when I go into a store, yeah, I'm checking product, I'm checking cleanliness. I already know the numbers before I get there. I want to have the experience. So I stand in the lobby and I, I listen to what people hear. And I want to see are, are our team members treating each other well? Because if they're not treating each other well, they're just going to be faking it when the time comes to treat our customers well. I kind of always start there from the top. Like, how do we treat our people great so they can go and treat our customers great? And I encourage it. If I was the customer and I had that experience, I have gone and done the same. Marty is the kind of guy that shows me the value of telling people how great of a job they do. And in some ways, it's selfish because it feels good to let them know. You get to see this smile on their face. But I've handwritten a letter and taken it up to another restaurant where I've had a fantastic experience. I think that's just trying to pay it forward. Uh, in some way. But I think we, I don't think we recognize in Domino's. We have one fault. It's that soup, that's the word service has really become about speed and metrics and not about um, interactions and experience. I love that. I couldn't agree anymore with that. The stores are so busy these days and it seems like the young men and women that are opening the doors in the morning are making pizzas from the time they unlock the door to the time they lock it at the end of the day. And they've just, it just seems to me like we've lost sight of the importance of what we're really doing. And that's the experience and taking great care of our friends. Like you said, I think one thing that we can do to move the needle on that is to help people be great at their job. Like we, we can't just train somebody and say, okay, yes, they're ready to run shifts. Let's put them in there. We have to continue their growth, not just through repetition, but also through coaching and, and through you know, great leadership in our stores. We use the coach class that the DFA has 
put out. And if that's something that a franchise is not doing, if you're hearing this and you, I would get a hold of Chris Rowe at the DFA and uh, find out more information because I think that if once someone is great at their job, they start to expand out into what's possible. And if if we're just proficient and we're just getting them to proficiency and we're leaving them there, then they don't. That's one of our retention problems there. People want to be great at their jobs. And once we can get them great, they're going to start We're going to open their minds. And this is a generation of people coming up in stores now who could find the most unique ways of thanking our people and treating them well. If we can free their minds from feeling so busy to feel like they are on top and they are conquering it. Yeah, I think that's really important. You see it all the time. People that are great at their job enjoy it more and they take pride in what they do and they make better pizzas. They take better care of customers. And it's just amazing how that whole thing works. It is amazing. And it, it's that spiral up and that spiral down, right? It's amazing that, that Sam, as you and I've done book reviews and done these interviews, we keep talking with guests and it's, it's about the positive attitude. It's about that positive mindset. And Jeremy, it seems like you have a generally positive outlook on everything. So I want to give you something that might not be positive. <laughs> Let's try this, shall we? Are you ready, Jeremy? I am ready. We talked retention a ton on this podcast over a few episodes. So I have a question for you. How do you handle a difficult conversation with a team member? I would say I get to have the most difficult ones now. As a director of operations, I have those. I think I probably learned how to have them early on in my career because I think we have to stop taking it personally and stop feeling like it's personal. Right. As a general manager, you're responsible for your store. Just being nice to everybody it is not going to necessarily uh, capture all of the things we need to get done. So I would say the first thing I do is I sit them down, you know, uh, privately, usually not entirely privately. I don't usually do mine in a closed door. I just do them, you know, out in the lobby, sitting at a table where nobody else can hear. You know, I do like praise, correct praise. But I think that Anthony Satterwhite told me once that to be kind is to be direct and to be direct is to be kind. And you really have to just tell them the truth, not what you want them to hear, not what you wish they would hear, but just the truth and start out with the things that they're doing well, the things that you like. And you have to find a way to leave them hopeful about what's next and not just ready to go home for the day. And I think you have to maybe be the leader you wish you had and ask yourself, how would I want to be talked to? How would I want to be corrected? People don't mind being corrected because they want to be great at their job. Sometimes we've just let it go so long that they've become emotionally attached to that part. Uh, and we have to deal with it quickly, deal with it positively about what we're going to do going forward and give them practical application. What I mean by that is don't just talk pizza theory to them or, or, or philosophy to them. Don't just throw them one-liners. Give them something practical. So, for example, if I'm going to do the same, I would say, look, Drew, I appreciate that you, I appreciate the effort that you put in when you're here. But one of the things that's been a struggle is being here on time. Now, this is a team environment and everybody on this team relies on the people who are on the schedule. We build a schedule based on what we know is coming in as far as sales. And so we schedule the hours and the people that we need. 
you're a vital part of this team when you're here. But I feel like we're having a very big disconnect in the what and how important it is to be here on time. So I want to remove that unclarity and say, I need you here on time, not just in the parking lot, but in your full uniform and car topper on your car and bank in your pocket and food in your belly and gas in your tank when your shift is ready to start and you clock in. I like that a lot. And I think that, you know, one of the things you just did a really good job of role modeling there is setting full-fledged clear expectations so that the team member knows exactly what it is you're looking for. And to that point, Jeremy, what when you're doing interviews or when you're teaching people to do interviews, how long are your interviews taking? And what are the important things that you're telling in those interviews? Is this a time where you're setting expectations around punctuality, setting expectations around image, or are you simply qualifying candidates and getting people in the door? We do it in two different ways. The interview process, I always tell people that first thing I tell them is, look, everyone will talk themselves in or out of a job if you give them the opportunity. You need to be asking more open-ended questions and letting them talk, telling you about their ability to offer customer service examples in their in their life, whether they've only had interactions at church and school or it, if they've been in the in the workforce for 30 years, ask them about examples where they've done those things and, and give them an opportunity to speak. And I always say that if you don't lay down them as expectations and hold people accountable to those, then all you've really done is made a bunch of suggestions. And you've left it up to people's objectivity. You've left it up to them to make that decision for themselves. It's kind of like in the interview, I would say something along the lines of, hey, we don't wear matching outfits. We wear uniforms. There are very specific ways to wear uh, the uniform. We're very specific about it. And one of those is grooming. So I noticed that your beard, it looks like it's well-maintained. You take a lot of pride in it, but it's a little longer then uh, you can have for us it's one inch and that's if you grab it and pull it out one inch and i expect the neck and the cheeks to be very well lined and your hair to be kept clean cut and that's either kept back well or you know cut off the collar and and off around the ears and i know that that may seem old school to some people but that's the way that we do it here it's an awesome way to do the interview setting them up with the expectations through the conversation I like too that you were saying how you combine parts of it, right? So you're you're looking for their input and their feedback, but you're setting up the important parts. You're not looking for their feedback on uniform until the end of can you do this, yes or no. It's amazing what happens when we set expectations for the team. Yeah, I think you have to remove the uh, assumptions out of it. And, and I think that we have to remember that everybody comes into situations with their own baggage, right? I mean, they, they all have their experience at their other jobs and they have experiences coming up just in life. And if we were to say, you know, if we were to look at a pizza, there's a very specific way to make a pizza. There's actually a target, a bullseye to hit when making a pizza. If we just say, well, you know, does it look right to you? We're asking a question to somebody who may not be qualified to decide that. So we have to ask them specifically, how many pepperonis did you put on this? Do they look properly placed, right? Are they even? 
And so we just have to get away from vague or open-ended things. And that starts with an interview and carries all the way through the training and the coaching because communication is two ways. It has to be spoken clearly and it also has to be received. And so I think sometimes we talk a little bit too much in our own lingo and forget that people haven't been here and grown up in our culture and they're not steeped in it. So if we just throw out things like, well, if we throw out things like ADT, they have no idea what we're talking about. Uh, we use we use letters like OER as if that is the highest standard in the store. And while I'm all for great OER scores, OERs are in the store about three and a half to four and a half hours a year. I would do it. I say we have to start training not for the OER, but for the customers that are here every day and for the team members that serve those customers. Hallelujah. Oh my gosh. I was an evaluator for six years. And I used to tell the folks that I was visiting that I will be the least important visit that you get all day. Because no matter how you treat me, no matter how bad the pizzas are, no matter how dirty the store is, I will come back. But your customers will not. And they've got something very important that I will not be sharing with you. And that's money. So, oh my gosh, Jeremy, you are, uh, that is amazing that you're teaching your folks that I love that the, the folks that run around because OER is in town. I had one franchisee once that had an OER crash kit and they would move that around in the stores thinking about where I would be. It was the silliest thing I'd ever seen in my entire life. If you're listening right now and you have a crash kit, I'm sorry to offend you, but stop it. Yeah. When, when I was a GM, I had a crash kit, but it was for when the system, when Pulse would go down and we'd pull out the old school slips and, and we would still be helping people. I actually had an emergency that happened in a store. When I first became a supervisor, the store that I used to manage uh, had a, an oven fire. And I immediately, they call me, I rush there. And when I got there, I see, you know, fire trucks, police department, all of our team members are outside. I come running up and I say, hey, every, all of our guys are out, aren't they? And they said, yeah, Sean, who's the MIT, who's now the general manager of that store. He said, yeah, everybody's out. I'm just dealing with the fire department. I said, okay. I walk over to a couple of CSRs and uh, their names are Kaylee and Rachel. And I say, hey, are you guys okay? They said, yeah, but we're busy. I was like, okay. And they had their phones and on the way out of the store, they grabbed all the tags and all of the boxes that were up on the make line. I'm sorry, on the cut table. They took them outside and they were calling back every one of our, our customers, our friends, and saying and explaining the situation. And their first thought was for the customer. And not to Snapchat pictures, you know, long day at work, and not to post on Instagram or Facebook, but to take care of our customers. And to me, that's top down. Like Art and Marty live that way. That causes me to live that way. Our supervisors, our general managers, down to MITs, pizza makers, and delivery experts. And I think that comes with prioritizing the customer experience. You know, I did. Uh, I give the. I give a talk about the customer experience. I always tell people I didn't invent this. I just feel passionate about articulating it because I think we have to put ourselves in a in a customer experience mindset. Yeah, I'm with you on that, Jeremy. I think that if everybody had the same customer mindset that Kaylee and Rachel had, that 
the distance between number one and number two right now would be so large that it would be amazing. I think if we just started taking great care of our customers as if it was the only thing we had to do, most other things would fall in place. Absolutely. I I think some of that comes from there's an old school mentality. The guys remember the days when the pendulum swung the other way, right? I mean, I guarantee you, everybody out there right now would want to be Art Herto and Marty Prather in 2021. None of them were knocking on the door wanting to be them in the 90s or in 2007 when we were in more difficult times. I think we have to remember that we are at a peak right now and that it is harder to stay on top than it is to get there. And I think that comes from serving the things that are the most important. And and to be honest, as our technology increases, interacting with our customers and our friends is actually harder. However, we can make that stronger because we can train our people to have really great 15, 20, 30-second interactions. Even through contactless delivery, I feel like we can offer a really great interaction and customer experience. And if we appreciate our customers and we value them, our teams are going to be happy to get more. There's a phenomenon I call managing down sales. And I think that happens in stores when people get overwhelmed and people get literally scared of the idea of getting busier than we are now. And what we need to do is we need to create them to be customer-minded and to be grateful for what we're going through right now, not just beaten down by the sales we're going through. Yeah, I think that's really important. If you monitor the general manager Facebook page at all, there was a post just yesterday, in fact, and I don't mean to throw anybody under the bus, but there was a, a pretty long discussion about, I'm so tired of people ordering 200 pizzas without any notice. And for someone that's been around for a minute, you know, I've been doing this for almost four decades. I can remember just standing at a phone that wasn't ringing, hoping someone would order 200 pizzas because it would make it the best day ever. Chris Rowe is quick to respond. Perhaps there's a problem with our culture in our company if we're more worried about metrics than we are worried about top line sales and bottom line profits. So, you know, I get it. The kids are busy. The guys and gals in the stores are just completely working their tails off and probably working more than they want to or need to because of staffing. But, you know, Stan said it really well in the last episode that if you've only been around for five, seven years, then this is probably the first serious threat you've seen to the brand with this staffing thing. And you haven't gone through all those things that you talked about Marty and Art going through. So I think if we don't get our ducks in a row when it comes to this treating all of our customers like friends and taking great care of them and making every slice as if it were a meal, I think we could see a downturn again. And I want to make sure that all our listeners understand that that's a reality and it could happen. And only we can control whether or not it happens or not. It absolutely can happen. I will say that I look at any problem and I look at the, you know, for instance, taking the Facebook thing and not to throw somebody under the bus. I won't throw the person who posted it under the bus. I'll throw their leadership under the bus. Somebody has not helped this guy or this gal feel great at their job. I have guys who would be excited and braggadocious about handling a 200 pie hour. And there used to be a time when that would have been the case. 
right? And what we feel now is we have people who feel abandoned. Now, I'm not saying every franchisee should be in every store. I know that's not possible. Every director of operations, every supervisor can't be everywhere at once. But we have to be empowering our people and training them and giving them the support they need. They, we need to produce and equip them with all the tools they need to be successful because there is nothing harder than running a Domino's and feeling alone. No, there, there isn't. And it's, it's amazing how the culture can spiral around that, uh, that, that victim mentality, right? Either you're in it for the good and, and that phone rings or the order drops and you're like, Oh yeah, let's go. Or you're in it for the bad of looking for every reason to complain about whatever might be going on around you. I, I have a lot of general managers that are, that they have that swagger, that arrogance that you love to see in a Domino's GM. And there's, for the most part, there's is hard earned. You know, the eight GMs I had last year in the middle of a global pandemic managed to run something like 19.7 ADT between, you know, as a group. And they, <laughs> they're sitting on good OER scores. And they were very profitable stores. They earned every right to be to be arrogant. But the big thing is they're trained to be great at their job. We don't just set them next to somebody else who's good at their job and let them rub shoulders for a while and hope that the training rubs off. And I think that when we're in a and we're in a staffing crisis, we have to remember that our best people are here. It's the people who are not interested in working right now. They're the ones not working. So the ones that you're having to chase out of the back room, the ones you're having to ask to hustle all the time, you know, we have our best team members with us and we need to equip them to not only be great, but to feel great at their job and then find, find others and train that in others. And that's what's going to cure this retention problem. It's really about leadership. And we can't just talk about it from upper management in offices somewhere. We have to model it and show them that we're here and that we support them and what we want them to do going forward. And not just what we want them to do, why we want them to do it and how it's done. If you're in a store and you're a supervisor, or even a general manager should be walking in their store and not telling people what to do. They should be telling them how and why. So, Jeremy, let's let's pull you out of AM for just a moment and let's throw you and your just fantastic and contagious attitude into a franchise that maybe doesn't have the same leadership that AM does. And now you're a general manager and you're trying to change the world without a lot of support from above. What kinds of things would you do? to make sure that this just infectious attitude that you have doesn't die if you don't have support from above. Because I think, I think a lot of times when we see things on the manager's general best practices page that, that we shake our heads at, I think that might be the situation they're in. I don't know for a fact, but I think it might be. So what would you tell those folks to make them want to, to press on regardless and, and find the better light? Well, I would say this. I mean, I hope I don't come across as seeming like supervisors and franchisees are the problem because I certainly believe that they're, 
the best in the restaurant industry. I think that I hope people perceive it as my passion for general managers to be successful. That That's really what I have. And I think that one thing we do a lot is we talk about the beginning. We talk about hiring, you know, like, oh, we'll hire these people. Well, it's a tough time to hire. So what do we do right now? And I think if I were to take over a store, say I were to inherit a store uh, tomorrow and feel like you go in and there's this hopeless feeling. First thing to do is mentally prepare yourself for a long road because it's not, you're not going to turn that culture around in a day. However, you can change certain things in your store right away. And the first thing is time management. I think if we have people who are closing stores and they're still there two or three hours after close, that is the hardest part of the day to be in the store. Dan Elwell is always preaching. He's a franchisee out of Joplin, Missouri. Uh, He came out of our uh, franchise as a GM. He's always preaching that we have to take the suck out of the job. And I think that starts with time management. So things like out out jobs and and having times of the night that we get certain things done to manage to get people out of the store. Where at the end of the night, all we have to do is put away food, wash a make line, count up drivers, sweep and mop and go home. If we have piles and mountains of dishes, something that has to be handled from a time management perspective. Because I think the hardest people to find are closing drivers. And the best way to keep them around by taking as much of the crappy parts of their job and removing them as we can. So I would start there and then I would go around and I would make sure to communicate what I'm trying to do to everybody. Not everybody's going to jump on board, but if you're not walking around and, and the truth is you create your own culture. You know, I used to, every once in a while, I just get tired of the way we were doing things when I was GM and feeling like I wanted to move the needle on something. And so I would just walk in and go, Hey guys, did you hear? It's National Change Your Change Your Life Tuesday. And everyone would just kind of look at me and I'd be like, yeah, here's what we're going to do. And uh, I would say, we're going to start, we're really going to focus on our product quality today. We're, and I don't care how long it takes, we're going to make great pizzas, every one of them going out. And then you start involving everybody in that process from the person who's proofing dough to the person who is cutting that pizza and putting it in a box and sending it to a customer. So communication... And But you've got to be prepared for it to take some time. And you have to look around the people you have and stop saying, well, if I could get rid of this person, I could get rid of this person, or if I could get eight more people in here. The truth is, if you had eight new people start tomorrow, your life is full of nothing but speed bumps. We have to focus on the people that we have and how do we create a culture that was we add new people to it, that we're a great place to work. Because once our once our team members are going out and telling their friends, hey, this is a fantastic place to work, you should come get a job here, then we're probably not going to move the needle on hiring. So I say it starts with the culture of your own store. And be introspective. Be willing to say that I am part of the problem. Whenever something bad happens, and I was a GM, I would look at it and say, you know what? It's very possible that I'm making a mistake. Am I doing something that's either causing it or allowing it to continue? And what can I do to not be part of the problem? That's great stuff, Jeremy. Couldn't agree more. I like that. It seems to me over and over and over again, you're very introspective. And when it comes to challenges and opportunities, you're looking in the mirror 
And yet when it comes to things that have gone well, you're looking out the window at, at, at the folks that have helped, which was, you know, a line from one of the books we read. I can't remember, Drew, any, any idea which one that was? Do you remember the whole window and mirror thing? That was a one minute manager. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a skill set that you have just crazy, crazy good. That, that's amazing. What's next for Jeremy Hill? What's uh, what's on your radar? What are your goals? What's what's your current BHAG, my friend? You know, I have some that are metric based. I would say currently it's turning the tide July for us. And, I'm, you know, to be real, A&M Pizza, people sometimes think Springfield, Missouri is is magic. Right. And, and, and we don't have the problems other people have. July was actually the worst month for customer concern cases that we have had in a long time. And so for me, I'll be hitting, uh, you guys hit the road. I'll be hitting the road and going store to store and talking to team members, making sure they understand that they are empowered to deal with wowing the concern and (laughs) deputizing them, so to speak. I have been known to make people raise their right hand and swear in as someone who can, uh, you know, wow, a concern. I can see that from you, my friend. I can absolutely see you doing that. One of the things, one of the things that concerns me is how many of our CC cases have already contacted the store and couldn't get satisfaction. And I think, you know, some people have to remember that just pushing them to corporate, all that happens is that we get a four or five day lag and we get an email that doesn't resolve their problem. It just makes us seem like we are indifferent. And I'd say almost when you run the the old percentage, if it's still true, is 69%, almost 70% of people who leave and never come back as customer are, are in that indifference, right? Because we have poor service, we offered poor service, or we seemed indifferent, like we didn't care. And I think it's just time to rehumanize for us, go around and talk about how we have to empathize with these problems and stop looking at it and say, it's impossible for us to mismake a pizza. You must have ordered it wrong and start going in with the attitude. And, you know, I, I listened to, some of it came from Stan uh, on the last podcast I listened to. He and I have very similar ways of wowing the concern. I always say, first of all, implying that there's more coming. I am so sorry. I'm very sorry about that. And, and we own it and we fix it. We make it right because the truth is around the country, we're not offering the service based in metrics that we wish we were offering, but we can be nice. And I think that if we learn to rehumanize on the wowing the concern, because that's a big problem we have right now for us at A&M, we have to look to starting from the beginning, right? We're going to fix this problem today, but we're also going to address it in our new team member orientation from day one, planting the seed and equipping people with the ability to handle these problems. But practical application wise, take a deep breath before you get on the phone because it's not personal. Don't take it personally. They have dealt with other restaurant people who just maybe they don't, maybe those people don't care. So they come in and assume that you might not care also. Show them different and treat them like they're human beings. I think that's how we're going to get through a lot of problems in this country and in our domino stores by remembering that we're dealing with human beings. And, and that's how we're going to do it. We need to start thinking of customers and find a way 
that we can turn them into friends. That's an awesome way to wrap this up, Jeremy. I want to thank you for your time today. This has been awesome talking to you and I can't wait to talk to you again in four, five, six months when you tell us how the customer care cases have gone down and all of your customers are friends. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you guys. That's such a great interview and great time talking with Jeremy. I didn't know that he was a DJ, a wedding planner. However, I knew he was a comedian because, oh my gosh, who else wants to be a manager of the future? Yeah, Jeremy is the complete package. And I think you could hear during the interview, the passion in his voice and the sincerity. And while the message he was giving was truly important and he was saying great things to me, Drew, and, and correct me if, if I miss the boat, but the more important thing was the way he said it. He has a way of saying things that make you want to listen and make you believe that he believes them. And he was just, it was obvious he wasn't scripted. It was obvious this was coming from the heart. And Jeremy, if you're listening, shout out to Russell, of course. That was a fantastic and we can't thank you enough for your time. Let's hit another ad, shall we? Hey, Drew, we've got two virtual trainings in and the listeners are telling us that they want more. I hear that too, Sam. So you know what? Let's do it. Let's go for October 26th for Drew and Sam Talk Training Virtual Training Event 3. I like it. Let's discuss effective training, performance coaching, and feedback with a flourish all in time for the big Halloween weekend. And you know what? Let's charge the 49 bucks to get in for the two-hour event. But Sam, I think we've got something special for our listeners. Yeah, let's do that $5 discount. We'll use discount code PODCAST. For any of our loyal listeners, you can save five bucks off that already ridiculously low price of just 49 bucks. Where should they register, Drew? To register, go to trainwithbty.com. That's trainwithbty.com. All right, great. That virtual training event number three coming up really Great feedback on the first two virtual training events. You're not going to want to miss virtual training event number three. Again, October 26th at 2 p.m. Eastern. And Drew, one more time, how can they register? Why, Sam, they can go to trainwithbty.com and click events at the top of the page or scroll down. Probably ought to do that today so you don't forget. All right, Willie, take it away, my friend. So Drew, on the road again, my friend, where are you heading? Actually, right now today, Sam, I'm heading to Dayton, Ohio. I get to do my actual consulting gig. I get to use human performance improvement in Dayton, Ohio. It seems our friend Chris Slater has this fabulous system where he does quarterly employee surveys and it dropped. So I'm going in not to teach a class but to actually get to the root of the drop and then determine what the next steps are from that. So I've got, I get to say this because by the time this drops done it, but I have three days of mystery shopping and questions for teams where they, they think I'm just a customer so I can see what they're thinking and doing. Wow. I'm just going to say it at six foot seven, you being a mystery shopper. um, Yeah. Good luck with that, my friend.
Oh, I, I will totally be a mystery shopper in Dayton, Ohio. It, it works. It's fine. Nice. I'm going to want to see some of the uh, disguises you come up with because I know that's kind of your your thing. If it's not your oh, thing, yeah. it should be. Me and John Hawks disguises all day long. Nice. The Hawkster. <laughs> How about you, Sam? Where are you heading off to? You and I both are heading to Cleveland. We're going to beta test our speed of service workshop. Anthony Satterwhite is kind enough to let us into a store for a couple of days where we are going to see what we can do to help him and get much better in the store. And then I am heading off to California. I'm going to be the judge in a world's fastest pizza maker contest. We talked about that. That's going to be in Northern California. Then I'm going to swing down to Southern California and do some operational training and operational support with uh, one of my favorite franchisees, Dennis Ryan. And that's what's coming up for me. Kind of uh, excited to get out to the uh, the West Coast again. Thanks. I'm heading there uh, after we uh, visit Cleveland. I'm heading out to Seattle for a little DTY visit system with uh, Chris Farmer and the group up in Seattle. Oh yeah. Looking forward to that. You and I both talked to Chris and uh, he's got some amazing ideas for training and looking forward to seeing what you can do with him and the team. So I think it's time to land this plane, Sam. Thanks so much for listening. We'd love it if you'd share these episodes with your friends, like them, follow us and subscribe. This has been episode 16 of Drew and Sam Talk Training. I'm Drew with Better Than Yesterday Consulting. And I'm Sam with Fowler Consulting. Go out there and sell more pizzas. And have more fun. That's all, folks.